Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. What cantrip has the longest duration? What? Friends! There's like 10 seasons. It's time for Capel Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Capel Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. Parley Cove. It's a town inhabited by, dependent on, and catering to pirates. Captain, I'm curious, how many, um, weapons did you manage to get through the checkpoint? Five. That's really fucking impressive, actually. Could you teach me how to do that? The captain pulls out a dagger and just pistol whips you for 40 damage. And I think he fully breaks your nose. Leo has quite literally paid for a rogue level up in blood now. Yay, I can do things again. Grand Duchess, we never got the pleasure of a formal introduction. Vice Admiral Defiance of Australian Naval Special Forces. And I'm the Grand Duchess. So unless there's something I should know, I have nothing to fear from the Australian Navy. She meets your gaze, but then shifts her eyes over to Leo. You don't. She has murdered one of the few people that can stop her from doing what she wants. And now, her ships can go wherever they please within the woman's territory. Which, for the record, means that she can go within leagues of Paraport. And the Zephyr Royals don't have a fancy navy keeping us safe. We have me. War has been coming a long time, and it's built on a fuck of a lot of bitterness. And if I'm going to help put it to a stop, I need to get to Gimtarum. How does a nice girl from the Silent City end up working for the Beacon, the Navy, and a pirate fleet? See, that's the thing about playing both sides, Grand Duchess. You never lose. Best to get ready to set off as quickly as possible. It's coming up on storm season. The captain talked a big game about storm season in the Zephyr Isles, but Fee, you don't really see what the big deal is after the next couple weeks. The weather's more mercurial, sure, gray skies and driving rain, but nothing too terrible. You might even say that you've seen worse before. So when you're not stuck below deck on the rare days that the sun is out, Leo starts taking his rogue training very seriously. He spends a lot of time with the captain, learning all kinds of knife tricks and different maneuvers to get him out of close combat situations. You spend a lot of time with the captain as well. The initial dinner date scenario that you guys had reveals itself to have been a bit of a show-off technique. Most nights, he takes his dinner with the crew unless he's really busy working on something, and he typically sits next to you, and you guys have a few more conversations. More shameless flirting. 
We pick up on a rare sunny day as you are making your way through the Zephyr Isles. You walk up on deck and hear your brother just cursing to beat the band. Whoa. You look over and he is hunched gremlin-like over a big locked padlock with a set of lockpicks in his hand just shouting at it. He looks up at you, hunches down a little more, and goes, I'm a fucking shell of a man. I used to be able to get into father's liquor cabinet with a bobby pin. Well, I'm guessing that involved significantly less yelling. Maybe try that. He flips you off and goes back to the lock. Behind you, you feel a hand at the small of your back and hear a low, quiet laugh next to your ear, followed by, The lock's glued shut, lass. Don't tell him. (laughs) She slaps a hand over her mouth to keep from laughing, takes a very deep breath, and just very quietly says, That's terrible. The captain takes a step to the side and just fixes you with this big, rakish grin. Oi, I've been told terrible's what to do best. What can I say? I'm a bad man. And he winks. She purses her lips so she doesn't smile, and then says, A villain and a scoundrel, sir. If I didn't know any better, I'd say you were coming on to me. She raises one eyebrow, says, Do you know better? And then walks past him. As you walk past him with a roar, Leo stands up and launches the lock. It goes flying behind the captain's head and over the railing and into the ocean with a plop. The captain, totally unfazed, goes, And that's the fourth one today, lad. If you keep doing that, I'm going to start charging you for him. And then he reaches into his pocket, pulls out another padlock, gives it a tug as if to make sure glue is holding, and then hands it to Leo. After Leo sulks off and starts going at it with the lockpicks again, he turns back over to you, shrugs, and goes, I promise it's coming from a place of pure intentions. He's good for morale. The crew hasn't had entertainment like this in years. She looks at him, looks over at where Leo is sulking with another padlock, and then says, Well, at least padlock shot put is getting his strength back up. Oi, I suppose it's good to give him some enrichment. At any rate, we'll be weighing anchor in Missborough later on this afternoon, just to get some supplies, and we'll be heading down the southern route to get to Pearlport. It'll take a little bit longer, but we'll be avoiding the worst of the weather, and anybody who, uh, could potentially be following us, if you know what I mean. Think I do? Under his breath, he goes, fucking defiance, and then leans up and yells up into the ringing, Pelican, I want full sail. We need to make good time. There's a ruffle of feathers and an aye, sir, from the rigging, and the ship sails on. Fee's gonna go sit next to Leo <laughs> and uh, hold a hand out for the lock and say, let me see that for a second. Leo has been stabbing a lockpick down into the keyhole, just like a caveman. And he looks up, glares at you, and wordlessly holds out the lock. Okay, I'm gonna cast lightning lure on the lock. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, well, the lock is a lock and can't save, so roll damage. Ten. Okay, you do a pretty significant amount of damage to this inanimate object. The keyhole melts and scorches a bit from the lightning. You see the metal go really hot for a second, 
And if you were to pull on it, the lock would open because it has melted the glue. I do not pull on it. I hand it back to Leo <laughs> once it's cooled down. Leo gets his lock picks back out and fiddles with it a little bit more. And the lock opens with a click. And he goes, oh, damn, thanks. Wait, hold on. Why are my hands stick? Is that? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. The city of Mistbro is on a much larger island than Parley Cove, but the geography of the place is much the same. This island is this huge mass of stone shooting straight up out of the water. And as the ship draws closer, you can see that the town is literally hewn out of the rock. All of the houses and buildings are carved into the stone in this city that steadily climbs upward along the face of this rock. Up at the top, there is a huge castle-looking building, just massive towers of stone shooting up into the sky. The crew is running back and forth across the deck, getting everything ready to dock the ship as you pull into the harbor. And you see the captain moving at a brisk pace across the deck with an extremely nervous-looking ascot trailing behind him, jogging to keep up. Ascot has a clipboard in his hands and is scribbling frantically as the captain is just stream of consciousness giving him a shopping list, essentially, of things that the boat needs. Anta don't necessarily know if is gonna be flush with alchemical supplies, but glasses is pitching a fit that we need more saltpeter for the guns, so do what you can, work your magic. Ascot goes, I haven't got any magic, sir, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Um, you, the first mate, is also standing up on deck, and she is just kind of glowering out across the harbor at the city. She looks a little on edge. The anchor drops down into the water next to the dock with a creak and a rattling of chains, and you says, Captain. The captain is not paying attention at all. He's just still rattling something off to Ascot. They put the gangplank down, and he goes to hop off. And you reaches out and grabs him by the jaw as he passes and forcibly turns his head to look over the railing and again says, Captain! He goes to batter off and goes, Oi, what are you on about now? Aw, oh, shite. His eyes go really big as he's looking out over the harbor. Uh, I'm gonna follow both of their line of sight and see if I see anything. Roll investigation. Uh, 17. You see an empty harbor. Calm seas. Nothing visibly wrong. The captain and you both look really unsettled, though. I'm gonna walk over and lean over the captain's shoulder and say, What are we looking at? There's no one in the harbor. This close on storm season, the peril divers should be out trying to get their last haul in. And the fishermen, too. So why's it empty? Oh. Shit. Oi! Out to the hurricane and into the kraken's mouth, it seems. The captain just jogs down the gangplank. I'm guessing you follow. Yes. Leo, who has amassed a small pile of padlocks around him at this point, just waves as you go down the gangplank and goes, I don't want to go in the kraken's mouth. Have fun! Noted. Have fun with your glued shut padlocks. The captain still looks a little worried as you disembark, but he does snort quietly to himself. You hit the boardwalk of this long dock. Again, you notice there aren't that many ships moored here, and it looks like the ones that are have been here for a while. 
The captain kind of has his head on a swivel as you move down the boardwalk until he lays eyes on two young Stormfolk women. One is the equivalent of, like, late teens, and the other one is probably elven equivalent of 13. They are dressed in long, plain gray robes and have little gray cloth headscarves tying back their hair. The captain points and goes, Oi! and goes running off after them. I guess we're running now. Uh, <laughs> he goes after him. You close in on these two young Stormfolk women, and the captain slows down, tips his hat, does a very respectful little bow. Acolytes, good day to you! Is your harbor master about? The older of these two girls looks at the captain with just a really nasty look and sniffs and keeps walking. But the younger one stays behind. She regards him much more kindly, gives him a little smile, and says, Captain, did you bring us anything? He frowns and says, Now, lass, you know you're better supplied here than most of the other isles. In fact, we came here to get some things from you. This little girl frowns. Oh, well, that's gonna be hard. What with the sirens and everything? Fee, like, raises one finger and goes, The what? This girl looks over at you for the first time, Fee, and fully takes a step back, eyes going wide. Always encouraging when people do that. Next to you, the captain shrugs and goes, Ah, you get used to it. Now, lass, what's all this about the sirens? The girl, kind of still giving you a side-eye, Fee, says, Well, they've been out on the rocks outside the harbor for weeks now. We can get some shipments in, but a couple more of them have... And she mimes like a ship crashing into the rock. The captain nods and says, Very illustrative. Uh, and no one from the fleet's been by to help you. She frowns again and goes, Oi, about a week back, a small boat came in and we never heard from him again. The captain curses very quietly under his breath and looks over at you. His worry has ramped up by a factor of ten. Fee nods. She goes, interesting. Uh, Captain, sidebar. He turns away from the girl and takes you a couple paces off to the side. So, uh, what do you know about sirens? Nothing, I was about to ask. He takes off his hat, runs a hand back through his hair, puts the hat back on. Ah, well, uh, it's probably for the best that you don't know anything, because at least then you don't have the same delusions that most people have about sirens being fair lasses sitting on rocks with their tits out, luring weak-willed men to their doom. They're a bit nastier than that. Well, that's disappointing. Sitting on a rock with your tits out is a noble profession. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> you won't get any argument from me on that part. The issue is... Well, number one, we're not going to be able to supply, which means we'll have to take the shortcut to Paraport, which means... Storms. And defiance. And time delays. And defiance. But the more pressing matter is, if these people don't get supplied before the worst of the weather moves in, they could starve. We're gonna have to take care of this, lass. You understand, I can't just... No, no, obviously, yes. <sighs> and if they're strong enough to have taken out members of the fleet that came to take care of the problem, keep his breath. He turns back around to the young lady that he was just talking to, kneels down. You see him put a mask back on. He looks like the consummate jolly pirate, even though he didn't a second ago. Thank you for your help, lass. I'll be sure to take care of the problem. And, uh, I know I said I didn't bring you anything, but... He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a perfectly round, gleaming black pearl 
and he presses it into the girl's hand. He goes, don't let your matron catch you with that. Off with you. This little girl just grins and turns around and runs off. Fee nods after her and then says to the captain, I'd make a joke about you making friends everywhere, but uh, the other one didn't seem too fond of you. He shifts a little uncomfortably as he watches the retreating back of this girl as she hits the end of the dock and turns down a side street. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, lass, but among my many talents, pissing women off is pretty near the top. And at any rate, uh, those are a little easier to piss off than most. They're acolytes, part of Zephyr Isle's state service. He nods up the rock of the island where the big castle is. Uh, state service? Clarify? He shifts again. He's, like, squirming. He looks deeply uncomfortable. I mean, I don't mean to be culturally insensitive. I'm just not sure what's going on. No, you're you're fine. You're fine. It's, um... State service is a governmental system here in the Zephyr Isles that takes in, uh... Orphans, foundlings. When you're a child, you start as an acolyte and you work your way up, get trained for certain jobs that keep the aisles running. Once you reach adulthood, you become doctor or teacher or harbor master, things like that. And, uh, they don't like me much. Interesting. Can I ask why? It seems like... Your goals are mostly aligned with theirs. Aye, same goals, but vastly different methods of achieving them, which is the issue. He looks up on top of the rock at this castle that's been hewn out of the stone, and briefly just looks raw and hurt. Well, that and the fact that I wasn't too good at my job back when my name was Acolyte. And without saying anything further, he pivots on his heel and starts marching back towards the ship. So, back on the boat. Leo, what are you doing? See, the thing about Leo is that he has never in his life learned a lesson the first time that someone has taught it to him. I'm on deck gambling with Boots and Pelican. You mean you're losing at gambling (laughs) to Boots and Pelican. Yeah, I've probably lost my shoes again. So you're sitting there playing cards. Boots shuffles through his cards and he says, Right, if we could put a pause on it for a moment, gents. And then he puts his cards down and like dusts his hands off and says, I would like to prepare the kitchen for whenever Ascot gets back with groceries. Yeah, speaking of which, did we give Ascot a cart or anything? Or is he just going to have to carry all that stuff? Boots waves you off and says, Ah, he's a strapping young lad. He can take it. Eh, well, it's probably for the best that we stop before I lose my shirt again anyway. Where are my padlocks? You, Boots, and Pelican in unison turn to look at Pelican's bird, (laughs) who has picked up one of the padlocks and is just messing with it with its horrible little bird feet. Boots says, right, let you handle that. And then he bustles off. I attempt to take the padlock from the bird. The bird looks at you with one beady yellow eye. (laughs) And then Pelican whistles quietly and snaps at it. 
And then the bird drops the padlock and just shuffles up his arm onto his shoulder. Thanks. Leo picks the padlock up and looks at the horrible zombie pelican really intently for a second and then turns back to pelican the person and says, that is a really interesting familiar you've got there. Would it be rude to ask how you came by it? Pelican raises an eyebrow at you, starts straightening out his hand of cards and bootses into little piles, and the bird says, Well, you see, young man, sometimes when one washes up on the shore of a far-flung sandbar, one acquires unique companions. Aha, uh-huh. well, I can certainly uh, understand coming by unique companions. That seems to be all I've been doing lately. Pelican shrugs and the bird kind of bobs, and it says, He is quite unsettling, but the most efficient mode of communication that I have come across in my years of life. Leo picks up his padlock and starts fiddling with the lockpicks again, and goes, Hey, understood. Uh, That does bring up the question, though. Everybody else is gone. Why are you and Boots hanging out? Pelican the man makes kind of an uncertain humming noise, like, Huh? And then the bird says, We are approaching the end of the year, which tends to be a time of much spiritual gathering and contemplation, which I find it prudent to steer clear of. Pelican the man, again, shifts a little bit uncomfortably, and he says, For you see, I was once a normal man who needed to do things such as eat and breathe and sleep. Now I merely do those things in the pursuit of hedonistic pleasure. Leo looks down very intently at his padlock so Pelican can't see his eyes going super fucking wide, but he just nods with his lips pressed together and goes, "Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To clarify, I am not dead. I merely have died. And been resurrected through means unconventional and quite frightening. Which makes me somewhat of a paradox of ritual impurity. You understand? Yeah, what's not understandable about that? To make a very long story short, I once asked a religious authority his opinion on whether or not I should partake in festivities. And he responded that he needed to send a letter. It's been 26 years. I still occasionally receive correspondence from someone asking follow-up questions. I simply find it more convenient to stay out of the way. Pelican, I hope this isn't too forward, but I do not understand how you can be so unsettling to be around, but all I want you to do is say more things. So, you know, in terms of, of the bird, I had some questions about your marriage. As you're saying that, from behind you, you hear Figo, let's not. Hi guys, how was the proverbial kraken's mouth? The captain says, hungry. Fee sighs, walks up and sits down next to you. Apparently, Miss Burrow has sirens. Can I roll a history check to see what I know about sirens? Yeah, sure. Uh, 14? You've heard some stories about sirens. There's a lot of singing and luring ships onto the rocks. Leo raises his eyebrows. Sirens? You mean like with the- and he hovers both hands in front of his chest a little suggestively. 
The captain says, no, not at all. He nods at Pelican. He says, want to get the bird up? See what we can see. Pelican gives a little salute. The bird also gives a little salute and says, yes, sir, and flies off. That bird's growing on me. <laughs> the captain says, oi, like mold. I mean, it, it does have some mold. I mean, yeah, we, we can all see. Pelican gives you a dirty look for a second. And then he, like, raises his hands up, makes a couple of gestures at the captain, who says, I, apparently, uh, one of ours came in to take care of the problem and wasn't heard from again. Or so I heard from a couple of acolytes at the docks. Pelican makes a couple more hand gestures, and the captain says, Yeah, yeah, it's fine. We'll just have to take care of it. We'll need you to chart a new course to Powerport. And then he nods to himself and just, to the group of you at large, says, We'd all best be ready for a fight. I'd like to pull Fee off to the side if I can. Yeah, sure, she goes with you. We didn't sign up to fight sirens. Fee makes a face at you, she says, No, we didn't sign up for any of this, but... And then she makes a gesture at Miss Burrow. The sirens are stopping people from getting supplies. And it's coming up on storm season. Great, so we get another hurdle to jump over to try to get to Pearlport. We're never getting out of here. She looks back at the captain, and then in a lower voice, she says, We can't just leave people to starve, Leo. I know that. Obviously, I know that. It's just, every day that we're sitting down here dead in the water is another day that thousands of people could be dying in Australia and Vogvoldorp, so forgive me my frustration with the situation. There's nothing we can do about it now, right? Let's just take things as they come. How many punches can we roll with before we get knocked the hell out? Fee just grimaces, and before she can say anything, the pelican starts circling in the air above the ship and then goes down to land on pelican's shoulder. It says, As far as I can see, we have four sirens on the rocks. It and Pelican nod at the captain, kind of in unison, and the bird says, And I saw the wreckage of the Calliope. The captain sucks in a breath through his teeth, nods. Any survivors? The bird and Pelican, again in unison, just shake their heads. Oh, yikes. The captain nods again. He says, Right. Well, we should probably go after him at night. Try to get them while they're sleeping. We can have most of the crew stay back, see what people in town need. I don't think we need everybody for this. You don't think we need everybody for this? Those things killed a whole ship full of people. The captain grins a little bit and he says, Aye, but we've got you, so. Leo puts a hand up to his chest, so flattered. Aw, thank you. Do you really think I'm progressing that fast? Not you. You. Leo deflates significantly, looks over at Fee, sighs, and goes, <sighs> All right, let's go fight some sirens, I guess. Yes, let's. Several hours later, you find yourself sitting in a rowboat with the captain, Leo, and you. Over the dark horizon, you approach a collection of rocks scattered across the mouth of Mistborough Harbor. 
but more concerning is around them is an absolute graveyard of wrecked ships and boats clawed open on these rocks littering the shores the captain whispers something unintelligible under his breath and then turns back around to the three of you and says so the thing about sirens is they can get in your head they know things things you want things you need and they can use that against you so whatever they say try not to listen to them what an interesting and not ominous at all thing to say leo raises an eyebrow at the back of the boat and goes well fee you and i should at least be equipped to deal with this we've been training our whole lives for it (laughs) you have a point there at least the siren will be more fun to look at than the old man Yeah, thank Kimrel we never had to see him sitting on a rock naked. And the captain just scrapes a hand down the side of his face and goes, I told you they don't! He says, we know, we know. From in front of you in the boat, you starts rowing a little more intensely and mumbles to herself. Let's just get the damn boat on land, I think I can feel myself getting less intelligent. You eventually make landfall on the biggest of these rocks. I am going to have... The captain and Leo scout ahead because they both have ridiculous stealth modifiers and might be able to get a surprise round on the sirens. The captain waves you up this narrow, rocky passage up to the top of the rocks, and you look down and see a nest of four sleeping sirens. They are not pleasant to look at at all. They have scaly bodies and really sharp pointed talons on the ends of their hands pointy almost bird-like features scary as shit even asleep and moreover this nest is littered with humanoid bones that appear to have been gnawed on pretty voraciously The captain curses under his breath, quietly pulls his cutlass out of its scabbard, and beside him, Leo pulls out his knife and a cutlass as well. And I'm gonna roll those stealth checks for them. Okay, the captain rolled a 13. Leo rolled a dirty 20. So let me roll perception for the sirens. So that's 13, 13, 18, and 4. So that means that the captain can get a surprise round in on one of the sirens, and Leo can take his pick. So I'm just going to do that. I'm going to roll to hit for Leo. He is going to have advantage because it's a surprise round, which means he's going to get sneak attack if he hits. Okay, and he is going to hit. 12 damage. And the captain's also going to roll to hit on his. Hey, buddy. Yep, he's definitely going to hit. So with his sneak attack, that's going to be 6d6 plus 5. 24 damage. And now we are going to roll initiative. That's an 18, but Fee gets plus 8 to initiative, so it's 26. So the captain gets 29 to initiative. Leo's coming in with... Womp womp, 16. And you got a dirty 20. So let me roll for the sirens really quick. 
Okay, so the way we're going to do this combat is it's going to be paired off, kind of like we were in the Season 1 finale. So we'll be going in order of the PCs and NPCs initiative. And because you all rolled collectively higher than the Sirens, your team will be going first. First up in the initiative, we have the captain and his siren. The captain uses his movement to fucking book it as far away from the rest of you as he can because he needs that distance to use his uh, rakish audacity. And he's going to ready an attack for when the siren comes after him, which it does. So let me roll that attack. He doesn't hit. And now it's the siren's turn. All four of these sirens lurch awake with screams. The one the captain stabbed follows after him up onto the rocks where he has run, stops short as he swings his cutlass at it again, opens its terrifying fanged mouth, and the most beautiful sound you've ever heard comes out. It's this haunting, ethereal sound that doesn't feel real, almost. And as this siren sings, you hear whispers and murmurs stirring under her voice, and they start off very unintelligible, but then start to solidify. As this thing looks at the captain and opens its mouth, you start to hear, No matter what you do, it's never going to be enough for them. Your blood and sweat and tears for these people, and you see how they look at you. You could stay with us. You could be a hero here. The captain's going to have to roll an intelligence saving throw. Oh, that's going to be great with his intelligence score of eight. His intelligence score of seven. Don't overestimate him. (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go. Well, he rolled a natural 17. Oh, but he has proficiency in in saving throws. Because he's a rogue. Fuck yeah. Okay, so that's actually a 19. So he saves that. That's my man. He tilts his head to the side, raises the point of his cutlass a little higher and goes, I appreciate the proposition loss, but I'm a married man. (laughs) Fee, it's your turn. What are you doing? Can I get all of them to roll con saves for me? Okay, what are you casting? I'm casting a fifth level shatter. What kind of damage does shatter do? Uh, thunder. Buddy, I got some bad news for you. You drop the biggest, beefiest shatter spell you are capable of summoning, and you watch the magic go around the sirens. It doesn't even affect them. They are immune to thunder damage. Well, fuck me, I guess. Yeah, fuck you, because now it's the siren's turn. As your spell fades and only the sound of crumbling rock is left behind, one of the sirens whips its head around to look at you, opens its mouth, and starts doing the exact same thing that it did to the captain. I have a question from a DM perspective for you of what happens next. What does Fee want more than anything in the world? Make it concise. Just give me one concise thing that you think Fee wants more than anything in the world. Freedom and acceptance. The siren sings at you, and you hear this alluring, gorgeous voice say, 
You've been searching so long for somewhere you belong and you haven't found it yet. Why don't you stay with us? There's nobody here who can hurt you. You could be free. Roll an intelligent saving throw for me, please. No way. That was a natural 20. Fee, I think hands still raised from casting the shatter, smiles tightly at the siren and says, Sorry to disappoint, but I've been offered gilded cages before. Fuck it, nice. <laughs> all right, and now it's you's turn. I apologize for all the dice rolling that's about to happen, but you is about to absolutely wreck shop. You've never seen her in action before. You know she walks softly and carries a big sword, as it were. But she cracks her neck, pulls the great sword off her back, very calmly runs up on one of these sirens, and lets out a scream of pent-up rage. And you watch some sort of weird fucking magic coalesce around her as she does this. This siren is for sure in her storm aura, so it's going to have to roll a dexterity saving throw. Which it tanks. It does not meet the DC 15 that it needed for that. So it's going to take 2d6 lightning damage. It took 9 lightning damage just from the storm aura, but you watch as the lightning flashes around you as she starts to swing her sword down at this thing. The lightning puts a real hurting on the siren. It actually is going to take 18 damage. And now you's actually going to hit it. So first attack, not going to hit. Second attack, does hit. So a further 15 damage. You absolutely wrecks this siren shit. It does not look like it feels good. I think she knocks it down to the ground with her sword. And from the ground, it looks up at her, hisses, and then you hear the song start again. This unearthly music comes out of the wounded siren's mouth, and you hear, All your life, people have been giving you names and taking them away. Don't you want something that's yours? If you stay here, we can help you figure it out. You's gonna have to make a DC 15 int save. Exactly 15 on the die, plus 2, that's 17. She is fine. Just seething, you watch her heave her sword back up in front of her, nod at the wounded siren down on the ground, and go, I don't think that's any of your fucking business. She's right. (laughs) And now it's Leo's turn. Leo is going to use his movement to get back-to-back with Fee on a diagonal, number one, so he can cover her back, and number two, because I want that flank (laughs) for sneak attack. And he's going to ready an attack for whenever a siren comes up on him. And I think it does that, so he's going to go ahead and do that readied attack action. If he's within five feet, 18 on the die, he's going to hit. 10 damage. Hey, Barry. Hey, Al, are you about to tell me a joke? No. What does Leo want? A stiff drink right now. What does Leo want more than anything in the world? Unconditional love. Real unconditional love. Well, now that you've let me see the siren stat block, 
you start to hear that otherworldly, beautiful song that you've heard three times now. It starts to wash over you, and you hear the slow murmur under it. As the murmur starts to coalesce into words, the siren's scaled body in front of you starts to warp and twist and shudder, and then you blink, and Zed is standing in front of you. Oh, fuck this. He grins, that big, crooked grin, and holds out a hand to you and says, Aren't you getting sick of this, boss? Don't you just want to stay here for a bit? You watch that crooked grin kind of shift into the real, genuine smile that you've only seen a couple times. Come on. Don't you want to stay with me? Okay, time for me to make an end save. Fuck this, man. (laughs) Eleven. I don't do it. Leo lets his arm drop and the tip of his sword drops down to the rock. And he just nods. Yeah. I'm exhausted. And he is stunned until the end of his next turn where he can save out again or until he takes damage. And we're back up at the top of the order with the captain, who is going to take another swing at the siren. 19, that's going to hit. So... 29 damage on the siren. Yeah, so the captain makes that crack about being a married man, stabs the shit out of this siren again, and it is looking on death's door. It's gonna try to sing at him again to try to get him stunned so it can get some distance. It hisses, blood just hemorrhaging out of its torso. You weren't good enough for her either. It's why she left. Why are you still fighting so hard for people that don't want you? But we do. He's gonna roll to save again. Ugh, 11. Captain doesn't do it either. You see this absolutely gutted look cross his face. And he falters. Sword drops down to his side. He's stunned. Fee, you're up. Yeah, I'm gonna cast a fourth level witch bolt on the siren in front of me. I'm gonna use one of my rerolls off Gift of the Stormbringer. There we go. So, 24. That absolutely hits. That'll be 4d12 lightning damage, please. And I'm going to use one sorcery point to use Empowered Spell so I can re-roll up to 5 damage dice. So that's 38, and I believe they are vulnerable to lightning damage. Yes, they are vulnerable to lightning damage. So 38 damage doubled is 76 lightning damage. You fucking one-hit KO this siren, Fee. And, while I'm at it, I'm going to use two sorcery points to do Quicken Spell, and I'm going to cast Lightning Lure on the Siren that has stunned Leo. So it's going to have to make a DC 17 Strength saving throw. That would be a 12. So it does not make it, so it will take that damage and be pulled away from Leo. That's 11 Lightning Damage, so 22. You pull up this Witch Bolt absolutely decimate the siren that's in front of you. It electrifies with a crackle and a scream and just drops to the ground dead. 
and then you whip around and lasso this siren that's up on your brother that looks like Zed, who you've met before, which is really weird. But it transforms back as you rope it away, and it shrieks as it takes this lightning damage. And now we are back to you. Well, not you, but... Yeah. (laughs) You. (laughs) I hate what we've done with this. You is still right up on the siren that she is engaged with. It is still in her storm aura, so it's going to make a dexterity saving throw. And that's a 10. That's not going to do it. So it's going to take that 2d6 lightning damage to start off the round. That's 9. Doubled is 18 because it's vulnerable. So it is already looking quite beat up, and now you's going to try to hit it twice. First one's going to hit. And that is 17 damage, which is way more than enough to kill it. The siren opens its mouth to try to sing at her one last time, and you just jams the point of her greatsword through its open mouth, twists, yanks the sword out, and starts sprinting for the captain. She has faster movement than either you or Leo because of barbarian things, so she is able to close that distance up behind this other siren, and she's going to try to hit it. Does not hit it. Her siren's dead, so that takes us down to Leo, who has to burn his turn trying to make another int save. He doesn't fucking do it. You lightning lure this siren that looks like Zed out from in front of him, and he looks like he has just been stabbed. It's like he is physically watching Zed get hurt, even though you know Leo to probably be smart enough to be able to figure out that this wasn't real. He looks like he buys it for all the world. Well, the siren's engaged with me, so what does it do on its turn? It is going to swipe at you with its claws. Does a 21 hit your armor class? Does it hit my armor class of 13, Barry? I know, I just like asking it when we're in combat. It makes me feel good. Hate your ass. Okay, so yep, this thing gets you with its claws for 11 damage. And then we're down to the captain who also has to try to save. He also does not do it. He rolled a 5 on the die, so that's a 7. He just stands there looking spaced out and traumatized and as you swings her greatsword around for another slash she yells look alive you bleeding idiot fee looks over at you and yells back i wholeheartedly agree seems like we're doing all the work here oh it's what happens when you send men to do a women's job where do you think the stories about the tits came from and she tries to swing at it again (laughs) i love her It's the Captain Siren's turn, however. It looks on Death's Door, but it is still capable of causing harm. The Captain is stunned, so he's not a threat. It's going to turn around and try to swipe at you. It is going to hit her. But don't worry, you and all 112 of her hit points will be just fine. So it's going to do 11 damage. And she's still got over 100 hit points. She's down to a fragile 101. Yeah, you looks more annoyed than anything. So, Fee, you are up again. I'm gonna go ahead and cast a second level Witch Bolt. Alright, roll to hit on that for me, please. 19. That will just barely do it. Go ahead and roll me that 2d12 damage, please. Whoa! <laughs> That's two 12s! Holy shit, man. 
So that's 24 damage. <laughs> Double. Doubled, so 48. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it's so dead. It was already mostly dead. That was just overkill. For my sake and for posterity, when you pull that snap log up, could you tell me how much I overkilled it by? <laughs> I just want to know. You overkilled it by about half of its original max HP. There is no siren anymore. It's just a scorch mark on the ground. <laughs> and then there was one. So then we're down to Leo again, who once again has to try to make this int save. 16. He's just barely out of it. He snaps back as you obliterate this siren in front of him and goes, Whoa! Fee, one hand still raised and like crackling with leftover electricity, grins at him a little bit unhinged and says, Good morning, sunshine. Are we awake, alert, alive, enthusiastic? I think I'm like one of those things. Yeah, let's. <laughs> but that is the end of Leo's turn. He can't attack or anything because he had to burn his turn to save out. So we are back up at the top of the captain who is going to try to int save again. He just barely does it this time. You screams insults at him and that seems to jog him out of his reverie quite a bit. And he lurches forward, raises his sword. Ah, shite! He cannot attack, though. It, it eats his turn to save out. So then we're down to the siren. Man, these rolls suck. These fucking sirens took out both of our rogues for a couple rounds. Which makes it even more horrible that the siren is going to sing at him again. And try to stun him again so it can put some distance between itself and you and try to stay alive a little longer. So the captain's going to have to int save again. It's a natural seven. Nine total. He's under again. This thing bleeding from every orifice unhinges its jaw and you start to hear those murmurs and whispers come out again. And it does the same thing that the siren that was fighting Leo did, where its skin shifts and ripples and its body starts to change in shape until it appears in front of all of you as a willowy infernal elf woman with spiraling horns dressed in pirate's garb. And this siren that has taken the shape of defiance looks over at you, Fee does a perfect imitation of that hungry smile that she has and then turns back to the captain and says she's gonna leave you too wouldn't it be smarter to just cut your losses at this point stay with people who actually love you is it my turn yes because you go before you does okay i'm gonna cast me a guiding bolt that's a 24 That'll do it. Twelve. You watch the captain's sword waver and drop to the ground again. This siren that looks like defiance reaches out for him. He reaches back and their hands are almost touching when you just absolutely fry this thing with a guiding bolt. The radiant energy hits it and it sizzles and screams and reverts back to its true form a second before dropping to the ground stone dead. And as soon as the siren goes dead, its song dies with it and the captain lurches forward, blinking like he doesn't realize what's going on. For a moment, all is quiet. 
nothing but the sound of the sea breeze and the rush of the waves hitting the rock. Leo still looks really freaked from that whole situation. The captain looks like he's trying to hold it together probably better than he actually is. Yu is just very calmly sitting down on a rock and starting to wipe the blood off her sword with a rag. She's looking like this is just another Tuesday for her. Fee, as the only one who has taken any significant physical damage, <laughs> is going to straighten out one sleeve, because I think like the siren got her across the shoulder and she is bleeding. Rolls her shoulders back, cracks her neck, says, Right. Gentlemen, remind me what the legal drinking age is in the Zephyr Isles, because I'm buying you a pint. The captain blinks and goes, Legal drinking? Uh, old enough to see over the counter? And frankly, as flattered as I am by your appreciation of my youthful physique class, uh, I'm 160. It's been a few decades since anyone's tried to card me. Thea holds up a finger at him and says, Not you, and then points at you and says, You. You looks up from where she's still cleaning her sword and grins and goes, Ah, bloody excellent! As the only other person that killed one of these things, (laughs) you've earned it. The captain and Leo, both still looking very shell-shocked, go and pile back into the rowboat. You do see the captain and you stop at the wreckage of one of the ships that's washed up on the rocks and comb through it for a bit, but they don't come away with much. A couple scraps of clothing, someone's hat. The captain looks over at you, sighs, shakes his head. (sighs) Damn distress signal didn't go off again. We'll have to get glasses working on a new prototype. They look really somber as they carry all of this stuff back into the boat, and you guys start rowing back for the ship. It is just after sunrise by the time you all get back to the ship. As soon as you disembark, Fee just grabs you by the elbow and just starts towing her off. Leo, still looking like a fucking shell of a man, goes, Have fun, girls. Not even looking over her shoulder, Fee says, Take a nap, you'll have a better attitude. Leo raises one finger like he's about to give her an earful, but then slowly puts it down and goes, Yeah, actually a nap sounds really good, I'm gonna go do that. Before you stumble down to the cruise quarters, you see Pelican just playing solitaire on a box, and he just nods at you. Leo looks over at him, just haunted, nods slowly, and goes, Sirens. Pelican inclines his head. Indeed. I'm gonna go, don't wake me up unless the boat's on fire. Behind you, the captain (laughs) raises a hand, he says, Oi, that goes for me too. And just stumbles off towards the captain's quarters. Pelican does a slow, like, golf clap. (laughs) And just intones with the utmost gravitas. Rest wary, heroes. And goes back to his solitaire. How in Kimrel's name are you so enchanting? I go take my trance. (laughs) Just about as you are rousing out of it. Fee stumbles into the shared little room that you guys are bunking in. And you notice that because she wakes you up by knocking over a table. Mm, uh, did you did you have a good time? Fee is like looking at the table that she has just knocked over, hands up, eyes very wide. She goes, whoops. 
Leo sits up, bumps his head on the bulkhead since he's on the top bunk, and then just flops back down onto his back, defeated, and sighs. <sighs> too depressed to be awake, too traumatized to trance, my sister's drunk. Fee, with the utmost of just offense, swishes her cloak and sniffs and says, I'm not drunk, Leo. Fee, I've known you for most of my life, and you start gesticulating with your clothes, you're hammered. One hand still up, Fee just releases her grip on the edge of the cloak, <laughs> smooths out her skirt, and says, Points taken. <sighs> Lay down, I'll bring you some water, and then I'm going for a walk. She steadies herself, points at you. Good idea. You're so smart. Leo smirks, and as he's climbing off the top bunk in Priest's tongue, he says, eh, in vino veritas. He just, like, grabs you by the face and just looks deep into your eyes. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> She's still just holding your face as she just giggles. <laughs> I'm having a fantastic time. My shoulder is quite torn up, though, so I'm lay down. Okay, well, glad one of us is. Uh, you should probably go see Doc for that later. I will bring you water. And then I'm going on a walk, okay? Okay. And then Fee just lays down. Yeah, I go get her some water and just leave it on the bedside table. Is she passed out when I get back? Quite, quite. And as you're going to get water, you hear you yelling belligerently at Ascot. <laughs> Also, like, audibly tipsy. Oh, no, poor Ascot. He was just out getting groceries all day yesterday. He doesn't know about any of this. He's innocent. <laughs> Leave my boy Ascot alone. He didn't do anything. She doesn't sound mad, just belligerent. <laughs> as far as you can tell, she's challenging him to a game of poker. Hey, you. Yu's head peeks out from around a corner. She yells, Oi, what? You're, like, invincible after last night. Why are you going after small fry like Ascot? Come here, come here, come here. Let me give you an idea. She narrows her eyes at you and then, like, slowly shuffles out from around the corner. I'm listening. Ascot's a small fry. Like, look at him. He's got, like, five tells. You'll beat him no problem. If you don't want to seem soft in front of your own crew, I think you should go talk to Boots. As you say something about her seeming soft, her jaw just drops in offense. She points at you, finger at your nose, wobbles a little bit on her feet, and then says, Not soft. I'm also not stupid. Hey, Boots, you want to play around a poker? Bye! Before I get off the ship, though, I am going to swing by the infirmary to let Doc know that Fee's shoulder is really fucked up. Doc and the captain are both in there. The captain's kind of lounging in a chair as Doc hands him a little glass vial. They both look up as you walk in. Doc says, It's courteous to knock before one enters the room, lad. Will you ignore courtesy if I tell you that we have an open wound on one of the upper decks? Doc sighs so deeply. All right. All right. Well, she's in a rum coma right now, so if you hurry, you can probably stitch her up before she regains consciousness. Guessing we're talking about your sister? Uh, yeah. She was one of the two people that was physically injured last night, and Leo nods very knowingly and empathetically at the captain. 
But something tells me that you doesn't like going looking for bandages unless she really needs them. Doc snorts. You'd be right on that one. Right, I'll go handle that. Doc stops, turns, points at the captain. And you will follow doctor's orders, or I'll have your hide as a duster. And the captain nods, says, yes ma'am. Leo waits until Doc leaves, and then looks over at the captain, raises an eyebrow, and goes, Doctor's orders? What would those be? The captain pinches the bridge of his nose. He says, same one she always gives me. Transmore, wireless. And in addition, and he rattles the little glass vial that she handed him, guessing I won't be getting uh, much unaided trance the next few days, and I'm getting a bit old for my liver to tolerate the amount of liquor that it would take to put me out. So. Fucking sirens, huh? Oi. Fucking sirens. Fucking defiance. Yeah, when you told us she was a piece of work, I thought you were selling her a bit high, but it turns out... Captain grimaces, he goes, And on that note... He gets up, stretches his shoulders. I am officially uncomfortable with this conversation. That's fine. I don't want to have any conversations about anything. I just want to get off this boat so I stop feeling so fucking sick and take a walk. Would you like to come with me? He looks like he's considering it for a second, and then he says, Oi, why not? Lead the way. I mean, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going off the ship and down the boardwalk, I guess. After a second, on the edge of your hearing, there's a sound, and the captain says, Might want to block your ears, lad. Oh, fuck you if you're about to tell me there's more sirens, but then Leo claps his hands over his ears. Even with your hands over your ears, you hear as a slow building chorus of horns ring out over the town of Missborough. The captain spreads his arms wide and tilts his head back and just nods to himself. The sound dies down, and the captain says, Right, don't expect you to celebrate, but happy new year. Smart money says that'll have woken your sister up. You vastly underestimate Fee's power to trance when she's fucked up, my friend. He laughs. Fair enough. And then he just starts off the boardwalk. Uh, he seems a little lighter. He's got a little more pep in his step. Walking the other way, you see a about the equivalent of like 13-year-old Stormfolk girl in long gray robes with her hair tied back with a gray scarf. As she sees the captain, she just beams and like runs up and starts chattering away. It's a little hard to make out because she is speaking Aquin, but as we've said, Aquin is like mutually intelligible with Elvish, so you mostly understand she's talking about the sirens, she's wishing him a happy new year. The captain puts his hands up, he goes, whoa, whoa, slow down. This girl like takes a very deep breath, just, anyway, did you kill the sirens? And the captain says, the sirens are dead, it's all well, should be getting regular supplies in within the week. This girl just nods to herself, and then she looks at you for the first time in this conversation, and you watch her shrink back a little bit. I mean, Leo's a little bit confused by that. He's not visibly armed. He's got Kimrel's blade up in his sleeve, but he doesn't have a sword or anything. The captain looks at this little girl and then looks at you, and then, with a tight smile, says, My dear, this is, uh... And then he pauses, like he's thinking for a second about whether or not he should give an alias, and then shrugs and says, Leo, 
His sister is the lady that was with me yesterday. This little girl looks at you, looks at the captain, and says, Inokwin, the one with the cape. And the captain says, Exactly. He looks at you and he says, Leo, this is one of Miss Burrow's esteemed acolytes. I mean, can I insight check this girl? If I'm making her uncomfortable, I don't want to hang out. Yeah, sure. Roll insight. That's a 15. She looks a little spooked, but not super uncomfortable. She looks wary, but curious. She does a quick clipped little bow and says, Pleased to meet you, sir. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Hi. You can call me Leo. What's your name? You know the transformation that comes over a 13-year-old's face when you say something they think is stupid? Very intimately, yes. Yeah, that happens to this little girl's face. She squints at you. She says, what? Your, your name? What's your name? Very slowly, she says, I'm an acolyte. The captain... His lips pinched together for a second, like he's trying not to laugh. And he says, a feature of Zephyroyal State Service is that there's not so much uh, names, as it were. He makes a vague gesture like he's thinking for a second. He says, you're acquainted with Ketcha. It's a bit like how in Esquire, people tend to be named by deeds. Yes, hi, I'm he who wrote the Crag Cat. Nice to meet you. Right. Anywho, a feature of state service is people tend to be named by, how do I say it, by their jobs, by their roles, and he nods back towards the ship, he says, like Doc. Oh, okay. Leo nods at this girl again. So it's just Acolyte then, that's okay? She gives you another one of those looks like she thinks you're very stupid. And she says, Aye, that'll do. Okay, well, nice to meet you. I have a very long and contemplative walk to take. Everybody have a happy new year. Enjoy yourselves. And I just take off down the boardwalk. The acolyte actually runs after you. She, like, grabs your sleeve. She says, Wait, wait! She pulls you to a stop. And then she says, so what happened with the Krakat? Leo freezes really awkwardly and then looks over at this child. Oh, the Krakat. You, you want to know about the Krakat? Her face screws up a little bit. I want to hear a fun story. I've never left Misborough and I've heard all the captain's stories. Leo hears the opportunity for a fun story and, against all odds, kind of breaks out into a smile. Has anybody ever told you that in Oskaya, everything is ten times bigger? Her eyes go very big. She says, it is not. Oh yes, it is. All of the animals, even the trees, they're bigger than your castle up there on the mountain. And he points up to where the citadel is piercing the skyline in the distance. <sighs> you start telling this kid this story. She leads you down the docks as you're talking. And slowly amasses a small crowd of other, like, middle school-aged children. Leo launches into a pretty embellished story of the Crag Cat fight that makes him look a lot more heroic than he was. 
but does do a, uh, yeah, that's where I got this, and points to the big scar across his face. All the middle schoolers go, ooh. Yay, I'm hip with the youths. (laughs) (laughs) One shitty teenage boy just goes, oh, I don't believe that actually happened. And the accolade goes, and then points at you, and in Aquin, she says, he's traveling with the captain. He helped kill the Soyrens. Oh, helped. I did it single-handedly, my friends. (laughs) Roll deception right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 17. Kids rolled a six to insight. One of the younger kids there, like probably about 11 or 12 equivalently, pipes up. Why would you kill the Soyrens? I thought Australians were bad guys. Leo stops in his tracks as he's walking and kind of just grits his teeth and hisses. Um, yeah, buddy, you're not wrong for the most part, which is something that I didn't learn until not very long ago. But what's important for all of you to know is that the vast majority of people in Australia don't know about the bad guys. They don't know about all of the bad things that the people that have power in Australia do. Um, Acolyte, you met my sister yesterday, right? Oi! She was very tall. And I am very not, and I understand this, and I've been told it my whole life. My sister and I are trying to stop the people in Australia that are making all of the bad things happen. But we're not... We're not heroes. We're not like the captain, alright? We're people who did the wrong thing for a really long time, who have realized what the right thing is, and are trying to make that happen. Does that make sense to you guys? They all kind of nod, and there's like a beat of silence, and then one of the kids says, Do you have any other stories? Do you guys want to hear about that time I fought a giant crocodile? Uproarious applause. (laughs) Uproarious cheers from the children. It all begins in a swamp in Oskaya. Fee, you wake up to the worst hangover you've ever had, and also fresh stitches in your shoulder that you definitely don't recall getting. Cradling her head in one hand, Fee will slowly sit up and try to get her bearings. You are alone in your bunk. Leo's not there. There is a big glass of water on the table next to you, however. You do notice that the crew's quarters is much quieter than usual. Even during the day, there are some people that are down here on their breaks, and you can hear them because the walls are really thin. There's nothing. It sounds like the entire crew's quarters is empty. He's going to down her glass of water and then try to go up on deck, see what's going on. Deck's empty, too. It looks like there's nobody on the ship. 
But then from behind you, you hear a ruffle of feathers and a voice dripping with gravitas saying, Ah, you awaken. Pelican, I'm going to oh-so-politely request that you just get into my eyeline before you talk to me. Pelican walks around to the front of you, as you requested. Yes, I have been told that my presence can be alarming. And then he holds out a flask to you and goes, Hair of the proverbial dog. Fee looks at him, looks at the flask, slowly reaches out to grab it, and says, It's not so much that your presence is inherently alarming, although it is. It's just the surprise, you understand? And then she takes a swig out of the flask. (laughs) It's straight rum. Alright. Uh, where is everyone? They would all be in town for the New Year's festivities. I remain behind because... Well, and he takes the flask back and takes a big pull out of it. Fee nods. She says, You know, Pelican, sometimes you say things and I feel like you're fishing for a reaction out of me and I'm just not going to give you the satisfaction. My dear, look at me. I do not fish for reactions so much as the reactions jump into my boat. If you would like to go down to the festival and find the rest of your compatriots, I am sure that they are enjoying themselves pursuing the delights of the living. Fee puts a hand up to her head and says, This hangover makes me unsure whether I count as the living or deserve joy. I assure you there will be people at the festival that can answer that particular theological conundrum for you. There will also be more booze. Good enough. Fee nods, she says, Have a wonderful day, Pelican. Do you want me to bring you anything? If you should stumble across my husband, please inform him that my avian companion requests some of the fried fish if they have any extra. Will do. The bird squawks at you appreciatively. Alright, Fee's getting off the boat. (laughs) Fucking- (laughs) You get off the ship and walk down the docks into town. The docks are also dead silent. There's nobody moving around. Most of the streets are empty. But then you start to hear the sounds of congregating people down towards what you would assume is a town square in Missboro. You vaguely remember being here last night? You do see a dumpster that you fell into, and you do recall that. She gets her bearings and then heads that way. (laughs) You emerge into this big town square, much like the rest of the city. It is all just hewn out of the rock of this giant stone that makes up the island that shoots up out of the sea. The square is also empty, but it is set up for what appears to be a very large party that is going to be happening soon. There are long tables that already have plates of food on them, big fire pit that's not lit yet. But most of the sounds of congregated people that you're hearing are coming from this big open front building that is towards the back of the square that you can see is just packed full of people. All right. Uh, do I see anyone that I know? Uh, if you'd like to move closer and roll me an investigation check, we could figure that out. Natural 18. And with your modifier, that's a dirty 20. So yeah, you move a little closer. You can see pretty much the entire population of Missboro is packed into this building, but dotted back among them in long stone benches that are inside. You spot Doc kind of close to the front in the nicest clothes you've ever seen her in, these very, like, long, nicely pressed gray robes. 
you see Boots because Boots is hard to miss. He's about two heads over everybody in this building and kind of hunched uncomfortably on the bench. And towards the back, closest to you on the back row of benches, you look over and you see the opalescent flash of sunlight off of a long shock of red and gold and orange hair. And you see the captain's hat just kind of bowed down. Fee's gonna, like, cautiously kind of duck in and sit next to the captain. There's absolutely room on that bench for you to sit next to him. You notice that all of the other people around him are giving him kind of a wide berth. You also notice that he looks more subdued than you've ever seen him. He's just sitting very quietly attending to what's going on. And up at the front of this building, you're starting to realize it's a temple at this point. There is an older Stormfolk lady about Doc's age who appears to be wrapping up some kind of religious service. There's a great big leather-bound book on a podium in front of her that gets shut and put away in some kind of cabinet towards the back, and everybody starts standing up. The captain remains seated. You look over and you see that he has this little pocket-sized leather-bound book in his hand that looks very well taken care of, but very worn and really old, that he's leafing back through, and it's filled with Aquin's script, and he's just sort of following along with the end of everything. But then everybody stands up to go, and he snaps it shut, shoves it back into the inside pocket of his big, fancy brocade frock coat, turns over to you, still looking very subdued, and goes, Ah, glad to see you survived drinking with you. Not everybody does. Fee laughs. She says, Barely, but yes. The mystery of how one small teenager can put so much away will probably confound me for the rest of my life. Well, my personal theory is that she's got extra space to put the alcohol in the empty, vacuous void where all of her kindness and tact is supposed to go. (laughs) Fee laughs and then, like, claps a hand over her mouth. Well, you're certainly one to talk. I'm kind and tactful. I'm going to remind you that you did kidnap me ten minutes after we met. He tries to smile at you, but it still comes out a little sad. Ah, extenuating circumstances. You see his eyes kind of dart back and forth to the people around. Again, a couple of those people in the gray robes from state service that are here are just giving him kind of dirty looks. And he coughs, adjusts his hat on his head, and goes, Ah, I'd best be going. I've probably outstayed my welcome. Uh, right. I'll walk you back to the ship. I'll be fine without an escort, lass. I would hate for you to miss the party. It's gonna be a good one. Now that uh, all the supply channels are open again, nobody's afraid to celebrate. She kind of crosses her arms over her chest. She says, And I would hate for you to walk back to the ship alone. I really must insist. (sighs) He takes his hat off and runs a hand back through his hair. Puts it back on. Right, well, perhaps it's best I at least stay for a drink and a dance. Doc will probably try to string me up by my own intestines if I dip out early. And he goes to the farthest flung table he can find and just posts up. Okay, yeah, he's gonna post up with him. You see this party starting, people are gathering in the square, talking, laughing. People start bringing out big covered dishes of food. Somebody pulls out a fiddle. There's music starting to go. People start dancing. It seems like the type of environment that the captain would typically thrive in. 
but he is still just looking a bit put out. He doesn't really try to engage you in any kind of conversation, just occasionally looks up at the party going on around you and pulls that little book back out of his jacket and starts leafing through it again. He's going to kind of elbow him in the ribs and say, watch out, I prefer to be the gloomiest person at any given gathering. Oi, and I'd hate to horn in on your aesthetic, but, uh... He emphatically flips another little page in the book. Last night wasn't fun for me, and today hasn't been either. I understand that, but we beat the sirens, things are, and then she gestures at the party going on around them, going well in Mistborough, it seems. Oi, right as rain in Mistborough, everything is. He looks really bitter for a second, snaps the book closed again. Everything's back to normal, and our entire course is thrown off, we're gonna be undersupplied, and the thing about killing monsters that can talk is it doesn't erase the things they said to you. Well, in my experience with things being said for the express purpose of causing pain, he reaches up one hand and touches the base of her throat. It's often better not to dwell on it. And I usually don't. But, uh, recent situations and present company make that a little hard. He looks off towards where some of the state service people who are helping dole out food at the tables are still kind of eyeing him and winces really hard. It's... It's not like I blame him, you know? He reaches back into his pocket, waves the book in the air, and puts it down. It's like it says in the book. If your neighbor's house gets struck by lightning, help him rebuild it, because it might strike yours next. And it's not illegal to leave state service. I mean, anyone who wants to can, but... Most people don't. Why would you? They're the most respected people in the Isles. They're living the dream. You're set for life. You're taken care of. Taking care of other people. But, uh... Our teachers, when we're growing up, they help us figure out what we're best suited for when it comes time for us to actually start doing our duties. When I was younger, they wanted to fast-track me into some big fancy career as a legislator, and I don't know who that person would have been, but... He reaches down to where he has that same old linen shirt that's open all the way to his waistband and kind of rubs at one of the horizontal scars across his chest. Whoever that person was, it wasn't me. <laughs> I mean... Could you see me sitting pretty at some high table in Paraport talking about trade routes while people are getting picked out of the Dragon's Maw every day? No. No, I don't think I could. Aye, neither could I. That's why I left. And... <sighs> I'm a man of faith, lass. I've always done my best to do right by my people without compromising everything about who I am. 
He looks out at where the party is swirling around you. There are people starting to dance. You hear a couple people starting to sing. The captain just sighs again and shakes his head. But they don't see it that way. It's different on the farther flung aisles, the places without citadels. Those people will take all the help they can get. But here... Here I'm always going to be the good-for-nothing pirate with no name and no principles that turned his back on his people when they needed him. I know it. They know it. Those fucking sirens knew it. And when that many people around you know the same thing, it gets a bit hard to ignore. She kind of reaches back, messes with her hair a little bit, and says, Well, if there's anything I've learned in the last year, it's that the things we think we know about ourselves are often misconceptions. And she, like, reaches up and straightens the cloak on her shoulders. He looks over at you and smiles, but it's still kind of sad. Oi, I suppose they are. That's why most of this bullshit doesn't bother me that often. At the end of the day, it's not the entire population of Mistborough that I have to trance with at night. Just myself, and if fortunate winds are blowing, some fair ladder lass from a pleasure house in Parley Cove. And a trance fine most of the time when, uh, you know, scaly sea monsters aren't turning into fucking defiance right in front of me. How about you, lass? Finer by the day, Captain. That's good to hear. He dusts off the front of his coat and stands up. Well, at any rate, I'd like to be back on my ship where I'm in command and the only person giving me dirty looks is my first mate. Understood. Lead the way. You go back to the ship, you're the first people from the crew to kind of leave this party and head back, but they don't tarry very long after you leave. Pelican's back on the boat when you get back playing solitaire on deck. The captain goes off to his quarters to either sulk or contemplate, you're not really sure what he does in there. A couple minutes later, you see you, who you did not see at the party, she was also probably off sulking somewhere, tromping up the boardwalk, and she gets on the ship, doesn't say anything to you, but gives you a nod of solidarity in your hangover. Fee nods back at her. And eventually the rest trickle back. Ascot comes back with this huge wagon full of supplies that he hauls laboriously up onto the boat. You see glasses and boots and dock and the rest of them all starting to trickle back in. You're getting ready to pull up anchor and get the hell out when you hear, WAIT! from the end of the boardwalk. Okay, what's going on at the end of the boardwalk? You see your brother full tilt sprinting down the dock just as the captain is getting ready to pull the gangway up from the pier. Everybody kind of assumed that Leo was on the boat, but he is not. He is down on the docks sprinting for the ship and followed like the pied fucking piper by this amalgam of children that are just chasing after him on his heels. He skids to a halt at the bottom of the gangplank, points up at the captain, and goes, Were you gonna fucking leave me here? No one thought to check if I was on the boat? Surrounding him, again, just this gaggle of children. Feet, you do spot the acolyte that you met yesterday? In the crowd, she's sticking really close to Leo. 
the captain is holding the gangplank, and for a moment you really see him debate just pulling it up. He is going to just very quietly smack the back of his hand. <laughs> Don't you dare. <sighs> Fine. And he puts it down. Lad, what in Kiva's name are you doing down there? Leo just kind of looks up with this lopsided grin, scar tugging down at one corner of his mouth, and shrugs. I went for a walk. I met these children. They think I'm cool, and now they have made me their king. The acolyte, who's still standing next to him, raises one finger in the air and goes, We don't have kings! Leo rolls his eyes and goes, And now they've made me their leader. Fee pinches the bridge of her nose and says, And even that is a frightening amount of power in your hands. Get on the fucking boat. Okay, okay, fine. And he hops up on the boat. The captain and Boots finish hauling up the gangplank, and the ship takes off into the harbor as the sun sets beyond the horizon. Several hours pass, Ascot gets all of the new provisions put away, Boots cooks all of you dinner. You and Leo, not too long after sundown, because you are probably both still pretty tired from your ordeal of the past day, go off to take your trance. You're not quite in your trance yet when you hear a little rap on the wall of your bunk with Leo and a quiet voice going, Lass, you awake in there? I am now. The captain's head pokes around the side of the wall. He looks like he's ready for bed. He's ditched the coat and the hat, his hair's down. He's just got on his usual pants and shirt. And he goes, come up on deck. There's something I want to show you. He's going to follow him up on deck. Leo mumbles something in his trance, but doesn't wake up. You and the captain go up on deck. The night is almost deceptively still. You can't really hear anything other than the gentle rolling of the waves against the hull of the ship, but the captain squints out over the railing as soon as you guys get up on deck, and then turns up to look towards the crow's nest and goes, Pelican, I want all those sails furled. We got a big one coming, and I'm not turning around to go back to Missborough for repairs. Feathers ruffling. Aye, sir. And then he grabs you by the elbow and tugs you over to the railing on the side of the ship. As you look out across the water and the stillness of the night settles around you, you see in the sky over the horizon that same weather phenomenon that you've been seeing, that aurora-like flash of the dark greens and purples and blues in the sky over your head. But it is much closer now. It is almost directly over your head and covering much more of the sky. And the captain just nods up at it, looks over at you, and grins. He is just looking up at it. <laughs> I... I didn't know we could get closer to it. I thought it was just something in the distance. The captain is looking up at it in the same direction as you are, with just this awestruck, open-mouthed grin. And he shakes his head. The lights flashing overhead set off the opalescence in his hair and in his freckles. No, it gets uh, a lot more intimate during storm season. We call it Kiva's Mantle. Because of... Well, and he plucks at his shoulders where the scale mail of your cape would usually rest. And when it gets this close, uh, that's when it gets really interesting. 
the rumbles of thunder that you've been hearing and the bad weather that you've been seeing have all been kind of distant and removed, not threatening really at all up until this point. But as he says this, a peal of thunder ripples down from these lights flashing in the sky, and it shakes your bones. It shakes the timbers of the ship. The captain, just smile-widening, looking enthralled, says, Give it a moment. Fee spreads her hands a little bit, just trying to feel the vibrations of the thunder still in the timbers of the ship. And then... You watch a huge bolt of lightning coalesce up in these lights over your head and shoot directly down into the sea off the side of the ship, and it just lights up everything with a blinding brilliance for a moment. And then it just opens up the heavens and starts pouring. The rain comes down in sheets. It is an absolute deluge. You are soaked within a second. She laughs and just tilts her head back. The captain laughs with you, his hands just closed around the railing, bracing against a howling wind that starts to blow down out of the sky, and tilts his head back and lets the water run through his hair. Up in the rigging, you can hear deckhands yelling at each other trying to get the sails furled in, because apparently this is about to be a monster of a storm. But he just looks like he's having the time of his life. He's still got his head tilted back, looking up at the lights that are still flashing, even as the storm clouds are starting to thicken and grow between them. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's... (laughs) It's fantastic. The captain, looking like a drowned rat after like five seconds in this rain, turns back over to look at you. And he is looking at you the same way he was looking at the lights flashing up overhead. For a moment, there's just this breathless pause between you as this storm starts to roar down out of the sky. But then a more serious look flashes across his face in time with another bolt of lightning shooting down into the sea. And over another rumble of thunder, he has to raise his voice a little bit to talk to you. I heard what they said to you, too. The sirens. You helped me put a lot of things in perspective today, so I figured I would give you a glimpse at the bigger picture. Yes, this is, uh... (laughs) This is wonderful. Thank you. There's another long pause as the thunder and lightning continue to roar around you. But after a while, the captain, who's been looking out to where the waves are starting to get rougher and the water's starting to get higher, purses his lips together, nods, and says, Ferrara. It's the first time he's ever called you anything but lass. Uh, yes, captain? He turns away from the railing and takes a step closer to you, and one rain-soaked hand comes up to press against your cheek. About what the siren said to you. I don't know if it'll help or what it's worth, but coming from an old sea dog like me who spent a lot of years trying to figure out where he belonged. The thing about the place where you belong, the place where you really belong, 
he leans in close enough that your noses brush. It's got a way of finding you. Sophie's gonna kiss him on the mouth. He loops his other arm around your neck and pulls you down into this kiss as the thunder roars and the lightning flashes and the rain keeps falling down around you in sheets. Just these intense few moments before he pulls back, lets go of you, and takes a step back. (laughs) Right, well, uh, you best be bunking down for the night, lass. This storm's only gonna get worse. I'll see you in the morning. He, like, futzes with her hair, puts herself back together. Right. Uh, see you in the morning, Captain. He fully swaggers off to the captain's quarters. You can see it in the way he is walking as he turns around and walks away from you and opens the door to the captain's quarters and shuts it behind him. Fee stays there for a second, just letting the rain fall on her. Takes a very deep breath. Says, shit. And then goes off to her bunk. And as the storm rages on and the ship moves forward through the tumultuous ocean towards Pearlport, that is where we end for this week. How's Fee doing? Too bisexual for this. So true. (laughs) So we will see how that particular event develops uh, moving forward. And we will see all of you next time on Compelled Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with The Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. You can also find us on TikTok at Compelled Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have a lot of other really cool stuff, including an official Spotify account, an official website, lots of neat stuff like that. You can find it all linked on our various social media profiles. Additionally, we do host a weekly Q&A show every Monday at 3 p.m. on our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by just searching Compelled Duel. We would love to have you come hang out while we answer some questions every week about the latest episode. If you're enjoying what you're hearing so far on the podcast, we ask that you consider supporting us by pledging to our Patreon. Starting at about $2 a month, you can get access to lots of really great perks like early access to episodes, access to bonus content, and even letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the podcast in ways other than pledging to our Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review because that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience and helps us grow our listener base. Episode 9 will be coming out on Friday, August 6th, 2021, or if you are a member of our Patreon, you will get early access to that on Thursday, August 5th. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time.